Hello everyone! Welcome to the Gems Podcast. I am so glad you all are here. Hello everyone. Today we are so lucky to be joined by Dr. Samilia Okpodu Puza, who is a doctor of physiology and biophysics and currently serves as a commissioner of the state of Maryland at the Governor's Office of Service and Volunteerism. Thank you so much for joining us today. Do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So um, my name is Amelia, and um, I grew up in North Carolina. Um, I went to Norfolk State University, which is in Norfolk, Virginia, and I got my uh, bachelor's degree in optical engineering. Um, after that, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to, to do next, and I decided that I would um, get a PhD. So I went to Howard University and got a PhD in physiology and biophysics, and I ended up doing my research at NIH, which is the National Institutes of Health, in the National Eye Institute. Um, and so once I finished that, I was, you know, I needed some time off. <laughs> so I took some time off and ended up serving um, in AmeriCorps through Volunteer Maryland. And from there, I just realized that I really felt called to uh, build a career with nonprofit and community development. And so that's what I've been doing ever since. So your undergrad, you said, had to deal with optical engineering. And then when you went to pursue your PhD, your research consisted of um, optical nerves. Is that right? Yep, that's pretty much it. So when I went to uh, when I started my undergraduate degree, I really wanted to do biomedical engineering, but the school that I um, got a scholarship to didn't have it. So what I did was I majored in optical engineering, and you learn about just optical systems in general. So I would have summer experiences, and those summer experiences I used to, to kind of get more biomedical opportunities, like under my belt. And so I kind of crafted my own degree from that. So uh, when I left my optical engineering degree and once I finished and graduated, I had a tremendous amount of knowledge um, about the eye as an optical system, um, but I wanted to learn more about the eye as a biological system. And so I went to Howard and was able to major in uh, neurophysiology and it kind of went from there. So I was, my research really dug into um, disorders of the, the optical system. And what, and like what specifically did you do? How did, how did you select that research? Was it the National Institute of Health was looking into those things and, you know, was looking for people to research it? Because obviously, you know, you need funding. So how, what was that selection process of finding that thesis? So for me, uh, when I came in at Howard, so I started at Howard first, and I, this, there was actually one visual system specialist in my department when I started. And so I, was, I knew I was going to work with him. He did primate neurobiology, and so I was excited to work with him, and the year that I got there, he left. <laughs> so I was kind of, you know, trying to figure out, okay, well, how am I going to get this research? Because so there were other specialists there. There was a renal specialist. There were uh, a number of cardiovascular specialists. 
and neuro neurospecialist in the brain specifically, but I wanted to be in the eye. And so I first um, had the opportunity to travel abroad, and I uh, so I went to France and Germany and did some rotations and labs there. And they were fantastic experiences, but um, I had actually got to work up work uh, up close with macaque monkeys or primates and realized, like, you know, I actually don't think I want to work in primate neurobiology or, or in the visual system of primates. And so I came back and reached out to a couple of labs um, at NIH because they had a graduate partnership program, which would, you know, allow you funding and a living stipend. And so I, when I came back and reached out to a number of labs, I was able to um, get an intramural training uh, research award, and that allowed for me to fund, uh, that funded my uh, degree. And with, through those awards, the labs that you go into already have funding for specific research projects that, that they're working on. So you come in and kind of create your own project under the guidance of the PI. Sometimes there's postdocs who are working on similar projects but answering different questions. And so that's, kind of, that's how it, it was for me. I had my own idea of what I wanted to work on, and I fit that under the umbrella of someone else's lab. And prior to that experience and just your journey throughout undergrad and graduate school, what drew you into doing biophysics or what drew you into STEM in general? So for me, it was very personal. So my mom uh, has a PhD as well, and she worked in plant physiology. So she was getting her um, PhD when I was really young. And so I spent a lot of time in the lab with her, like racking pipette tips, and um, I just grew up around the sciences. So I always had an interest. I had science kids at home, and we would do science experiments. So I always had, like, a, a natural leaning towards STEM fields anyways because that's what I grew up around. Um, but I also did a number of summer programs, um, probably from the time – sixth grade each summer, I would be in someone's STEM-based, you know, learning experience, and that allowed me to look at different avenues, um, and so that's how I was kind of able to, you know, say, okay, I like this, or I don't like that, and when I got to, when I was around a junior in high school, uh, I had a close friend who's, whose parent passed away. And so that kind of got me, uh, he passed away from uh, cancer, and so that got me really interested in just biomedical research and medicine. And so I kind of paved my path that way. Like I used my natural leanings and natural inclinations, but then um, external experiences also influenced how, I, how that path was shaped. And having those influences, like with your mom with a Ph.D. and the people around you supporting that gift and passion in STEM, did did you notice apparent gaps between men and women or any type of adversity like that? So I would say the only gap that I saw, like not educationally but confidence-wise, that's where the, that's the biggest thing that I saw. So when I was, my, I remember it distinct, distinctly. So my first engineering class that I had, um, there were, I think, if there were 25 
people in the class, three of us were women, and that's including myself. And I just remember sitting there feeling like they all know something that I don't know because they were much more um, confident in answering questions. They were, you know, much more willing to raise their hand. And um, it took me probably like two or three weeks, and I realized like, okay, they don't necessarily know more than me. They're just more willing to raise their hand. And so that was the biggest difference that I that I noticed. It was a confidence difference, not a knowledge difference. And do you think with, like, your background and having those different experiences allowed you to bring a new perspective to those conversations? Do you think um, – I guess I would like to reiterate, in past episodes we've talked about how – you know, people from different walks of life have been able to give that perception that someone else might not have. And so could you yeah. talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I think regardless of the field that you go in, diversity of thought is really important. And those experience, that diversity in thought will come from diversity of experiences. So for me, you know, my family grew up on the coast. And so someone who grew up on the coast and, you know, doing boating or fishing is going to be a lot different than someone who grew up in the mountains, right, just because their experiences are different. So it's not that one is better than the other. They're just different. So when you bring that diversity of thought um, into the room together, you're really able to tackle, look at the same problem and, and come up with a multitude of different ways to approach it. And so when you bring – diversity of thought into the conversation, you're always going to uh, have a have a better product in the end because many different people are looking at it from many different ways. Absolutely. And you said growing up on the coast, so from North Carolina and now you're in Maryland. How, what, what brought you there? You know, how did you end up in Maryland? Sure. So uh, after I finished my degree, so I lived in D.C., which is where Howard University is, um, I lived in D.C., and then I met my husband, and we uh, he was working at a power plant, uh, which most people don't realize is a power plant in southern Maryland. Just one hour away from D.C., there's a nuclear power plant. And so we came down to Calvert County, and that's where I am now, and um, that's it's my home now. And I, it's still on the coast, so, I, so I'm still, I've returned to my roots in, in some respects, but just a couple of states north, um, and, yeah, and I, I love it here, and I love my community here. And working with nonprofits in your community and just volunteering and service and everything in that aspect, um, what does your day consist of? What does that look like? So my day is really dynamic. Um, so I actually work with a handful of different nonprofits, um, and so for my primary job, um, I manage projects, and so I'm, and I manage projects for a local nonprofit, but also for an international nonprofit in Honduras. And so, really, my day is really very dynamic. Checking in, it's you know making sure that we're meeting project goals, and a lot of that experience and making sure that the project is moving along efficiently comes from my formal training during my dissertation, because your dissertation research is a project that you have to manage. So you actually become a natural project manager just um, by way of your research. Um, so 
my day is, it really just depends on the day. And how, you know, working with those nonprofits, how do you apply your STEM background? You know, you said your PhD um, work, but how do you apply, like, what you learned in school um, other than that to your job now? Yeah. So the really cool thing about PhDs is there are a lot of transferable skills. Um, for me, I was doing a lot of uh, quantitative data analysis, and so when I stepped into my position here, I was looking at one of the projects that I worked with, was, I was working with food banks uh, and food pantries, and so you, know, you have a number of clients who are coming in, and when you're trying to figure out how to serve the client better, using data and the skills that you – in data collection and analysis and management is actually really important. And so that is a skill that I got directly from my research because I had to manage the data that I was collecting day in and day out. So I came in and um, ended up doing community surveys so we could find out how we were currently serving the clients, food pantry clients, but then also using that, the results from that data to figure out how to serve them better. And other than serving the population and benefiting them by providing a source of food, what other um, service projects have you been involved in, if you'd like to expand a little bit on that? Sure. So um, as a commissioner, I get connected to lots of other nonprofits, and so we're always getting um, information about service projects happening around the state of Maryland. Um, I worked at as a volunteer at uh, nonprofits that collect sporting equipment, which sounds really interesting, but use sporting equipment or pre-owned, pre-loved sporting equipment, and then disseminating that to um, low-income populations that maybe don't have access to it. So I've worked with nonprofits to do that. Obviously, I've worked at food banks. Um, I The work that I do in Honduras is about clean water and sanitation, so I've built stoves and installed water filters in homes and built latrines. Um, so there's a whole plethora of things that I've gotten involved in just by being willing to, to try something different. And does your, you're, you're talking about Honduras um, internationally. So do you have to go there to do those types of things? Or do you yeah. have a team? You do. Well, go ahead. Finish your question. Well, just if you had a team who, you know, went went with you or did that aspect of the service. Yeah. So the really cool thing is that I get to to manage projects um, locally, but I also get to travel internationally. And so for Honduras specifically, um, I have a team of volunteers here, and we kind of problem solve around how we can help the teams that travel down work more efficiently. Um, but I've also led teams in country. And um, one of the, the last trip that I went on, which was in January, um, I had a team of uh, all women executives, and we traveled to um, Honduras, and we worked with the local government um, officials within the community that we work in to empower um, a group of 40 women um, to just help them think uh, through, like, vision casting for their own life and how to take the resources that they have to make a better life for themselves and their families. So it it really is very diverse, the types of things that I get to do, which is what I love.
Absolutely. And I guess just as we're going through a pandemic right now, how has the coronavirus impacted your job? You said your last trip was in January. So, you know, it's been quite some time since you've been. Um, what in what other ways has it impacted uh, your your job, your career? Yeah. So the the funny thing is that I was supposed my was supposed to leave March fourth to go back on another trip and something happened and I just wasn't able to go and but the woman that I was traveling with she went and she ended up she was supposed to be there for five days and she ended up being there for two weeks because during that time we went into lockdown because of the coronavirus so it's definitely had a direct impact on the work that I do in a lot of ways um, but because of the type of work that I do it's I've really seen um, a lot of other opportunities arise so um, in Calvert County, we had a need for uh, – there were a number of kids who were in uh, – who were dependent on schools to get their meals. And so we were able to work together uh, with, you know, local partners to make sure that they were still able to get meals even though they were not able to go to school. So that's something that I wasn't doing before the coronavirus that I do now. So now I coordinate an effort to feed 1,300 kids a week um, with their school, with breakfast and lunch, uh, Monday through Friday. Um, one of the other things I, I get to do is that through the organization in Honduras, we were um, having people, there's a GED course that people were coming into a training center to take, but because of the pandemic, they were not able to leave their home. So now I get to help support um, other members who are currently down in Honduras. I get to support them in thinking through how do we take this in-person class and adapt it for virtual learning. So the pandemic's changed a lot of things, but it's also given us lots of opportunities to think differently about how do we solve the, the same problems are there, and if not more, but we can be creative about how we solve them. And that's one of the things that's come as a result of the pandemic. Absolutely. And I think that the work you're doing is is amazing. And I guess this is kind of an off-base question, but if you had the opportunity to sit down and have lunch with one woman in STEM, alive or not, who would it be? Oh, wow. Uh, let me think. One woman in STEM. Well, so I've been really fortunate to have fantastic mentors along the way, and that really made a huge difference. Um, so I don't know that there's anyone that I would sit down with that I haven't already sat down with because of the, the mentors that I have. People who really, because I think there's a lot of value to be gained from, you know, people who you don't know, but there's a whole host of information that you can get from people who you know in your current life who are doing the work already. So for me, my mentor from undergraduate, um, her name is Dr. Arlene Macklin, and she was um, one of the first African-American women to get a PhD um, in physics uh, from the University of Virginia, and she is She's just a powerhouse, and she's amazing. And so 
she leaves me in a position where I don't really have any, I, I don't always recognize the need to reach out to, to other women in STEM because she is just fantastic and does a great job of connecting me to um, other people who can help me think about things differently. And so as I don't have any more questions for you. I guess the last one that I do is, um, is there any advice that you have for high school girls like me looking to go into STEM or looking to go into a career like yours? Sure. So I think the the biggest piece of advice that I would give to girls in high school, um, and it's also advice that I would probably give to my younger self, is that you don't have to have it all figured out. Um, when I was in, I remember in um, undergraduate, when I was finishing, I was I, I thought I knew everything. I thought I had everything figured out. So I'm like, I'm going to go to graduate school, and it's going to take me four years to get my PhD, and then I'm going to go to medical school, and it's going to take me four years to get my um, my medical degree, and then I'm going to go and do doctors without orders. And um, because that was what I knew. So I think you can have a plan, but you always want to make sure that you're open to other possibilities because there's no way that you can know everything at 17. So just have a plan, but leave space for um, for other possibilities. And don't put so much pressure on yourself to have everything figured out right now because things change every day. No, if you would have asked anyone who made a, a five-year plan five years ago probably did not account for the coronavirus, right? <laughs> they did not account for COVID-19 and how that changed so many things. Um, so it's not bad to have a plan, but just stay flexible. Absolutely. And thank you so much for giving your time today to talk to me and inspire girls like me looking to have careers like yours. It's my pleasure. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, you can contact us through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at ColgaGems. You can also reach us through email. Our email is ColgaGems at gmail.com. That is C-O-L-G-A-G-E-M-S. And I'll see y'all next time.